I want you to do me a favor, though. The declassified whistleblower complaint on President Donald Trump and Ukraine has been released this morning. As always, you can text us at 971-220-5979. It's 971-220-5979. Tell us your name. Otherwise, we might make one up. You can also follow us at xraypod.com. You can also follow us on your favorite podcast app. You can also listen to us at the X-Ray Archive. Let's get started with News of My Dad. And now it's time for News with My Dad. A show where we talk about the news with my dad. And in studio live, playing the role of my dad is, in fact, my dad, the star of our show, Joe Smith. Pop, how you doing? There's lots to talk about this morning. This is a show we talk about the news. We try to talk about the important stuff. Sometimes we talk about the unimportant stuff when it's unimportant. We try to say so. We take turns. Dad typically takes the first turn. Pop, do you have a shout-out? As a matter of fact... I have nine shout-outs. Just three. Okay. Just three. But they're all deserving shout-outs. All right. My first shout-out is to Christopher Frey and 19 other members of the Pollution Advisory Group, which DDT disbanded a year ago next month who are going to get together on the anniversary of the disbanding in the location where they were told they were no longer wanted to discuss pollution and what it is doing to us. And they are going to continue doing their work even though they are not going to get their transportation and lodging paid for by the federal government. That's the first one. The numbers two in 2018, the, there was a, a report, uh, and, and I, should, I should explain what that's about, that's about a little bit more. The, uh, they, they reported that there were millions of Americans at risk because of small particles, small particles especially from coal burning especially, and that's why they were disbanded. The second one is to Kennedy Odede. I hope I am pronouncing Mr. Odede's name correctly. A native of Kenya who is convening in January the World Poverty Forum, which has been aptly named Davos for the Poor, where they are going to bring people to one of, if not the biggest slum in the world, in Kenya, to discuss about the needs for addressing poverty. And it's not going to be in that posh place where CEOs rub shoulders and make them each other feel good in Davos. It's going to be on the front lines. And then the last one, and this is really interesting, the Human Fraternity for World Peace and Living Together in Abu Dhabi is building a complex where there is going to be a mosque, a synagogue, and a Catholic church, which they say we are the Abrahamic religions, and that, of course, refers to the fact that all three of those religions trace themselves back to Abraham, and they look to Saint, to Pope Francis and what he had to say in February when he met with an Islamic leader they are getting criticism from 
far-right Muslims and far-right Catholics and far-right, not so, not, not so much from far-right Jews, for trying to do this, but they're saying this is a place to start, and it sounds like a wonderful place to start, and I think they deserve a shout-out. All right, Dan. Right now, this morning... As we speak... Testimony from the acting director of National Intelligence, uh, Joe McGuire, to Adam Schiff's Intelligence Committee in the House, talking about the whistleblower complaint. Uh, do you want to give the blow-by-blow? There are many of our listeners who will understand it. There are many others who might want to catch up. Uh, where do you want to start? I have one of the uh, key releases of information this morning is that contents of the whistleblower complaint has now been released. But why don't you go first? Okay, well, first, I, I decided that I would see how, what was happening, so I turned on my television shortly after 6 o'clock, and there was Devin Nunes, who I'm not going to describe with the word that I would like to use because you would frown at me for doing it over the air. But Devin Nunes just just lying. Oh, wow, it was awful. But anyway, I think our listeners are probably up on it, so I'm not going to try to give a, a whole thing, but, but I want to call attention to something that isn't getting a lot of attention. There, everybody's talking about the relationship between the president cutting off or, put, or putting on hold the arms that were supposed to be going to Ukraine in context with just a few days later telling the president of Ukraine that he wanted him to go after Joe Biden and Joe Biden's son. But the thing that, that to my mind might even be worse was where he said, I want you to go after CrowdStrike. Now, so you understand what that is about. CrowdStrike was the tech company that was hired to investigate the possibility that there had been an improper invasion from Russia or from somebody into the DNC and into the Clinton campaigns and emails and concluded that it was Russia that was then later concurred in by every single intelligent agency the federal government has. And DDT once asked the Ukrainian president to go after that, obviously for the purpose of trying once again to debunk the fact that Russia really did interfere in our election. All right, Dad, that, do you, that's the thing that's do you want to be do you want to be the president or of the United States or do you want to be the president of Ukraine? <laughs> I think it'd be be neatest to be Putin right now because he no, must no, be No, no, I mean shortly. in that we, I want to I want to read a couple oh, you, of portions oh, oh, of the transcript. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. I want to ask, do you want to play the role of the I don't mean like what do you want to do Oh, you you, you want me to role play? Your choice. I'll, I'll do either one as long as you give me something to read from. All right. Why don't uh, uh why don't you be why don't you be President uh, Zelensky and I will be Donald Trump. I don't know why, but that's what why don't why don't we do that? Uh, you're yellow, I'm green. We'll do this a couple times. We'll start with this little portion. Okay, so I'm yellow. 
I'm very grateful to you for that. Okay, I'm uh, I am now President Zelensky. You are you are Donald Trump. We're, that's we're not gonna. We're, Boris and Natasha are not X-ray radio hosts. Okay, that you just got, well, you, you, asked you, me, you asked me to. Bring I don't know. Me. I don't know what the governmental system of the Ukraine is, but whatever that. I don't know how you get impeached as president of Ukraine. I don't know how the vote of no confidence works, but whatever that that has been triggered in the in the in the nation of Ukraine. And I actually I understand the the first syllable is emphasized, and in the Ukraine, you are not. You are the rejecting my accent. Soundly, as quickly and urgently as I, this is a matter of urgent concern. I have blown the whistle. The uh, we have now enacted the whistleblower statute, and we have triggered a transition in power, hopefully a peaceful one, in the nation of Ukraine. I will begin. Okay, I'm watching to see if you have a better accent. Than I'm I not going to try to do an accent. Well, then how can you possibly play a role for the? <laughs> I okay, just, just want to say, I just want to say the words. I just want to say the words. All right, where to go here? The uh, uh, it's earlier than this. See, I gave you my computer, so I have to use my phone. And I was gonna have you be the yellow, so that I could go, so that I could go second. You're starting out with "I'm very grateful." I'm looking for it. Uh, I uh, where to go? I'm very grateful to you because the United States is doing quite a lot for Ukraine, much more than the European Union, especially when we are talking about sanctions against the Russian Federation. I would also like to thank you for your great support in the area of defense. We are ready to continue to cooperate for the next steps. Specifically, we are almost ready to buy more javelins from the United States for defense purposes. I would like you to do us a favor, though. Because our country has been through a lot, and Ukraine knows a lot about it. I would like you to find out what happened with this whole situation with Ukraine. They say, crowd strike. I guess you have one of your wealthy people. The server, they say Ukraine has it. There are a lot of things that went on, the whole situation. I think you're surrounding yourself with some of the same people. I would like to have the Attorney General call you or your people, and I would like you to get to the bottom of it. As you saw yesterday, that whole nonsense ended with a very poor performance by a man named Robert Mueller, an incompetent performance. But they say a lot of it started with Ukraine. Whatever you can do, it's very important that you do it, if that's possible. I like your Donald Trump accent. I don't know exactly what accent it is, but I appreciate it. Then President Zelensky goes on to say, yes, it immediately says, yes, it's very important for me and everything you just mentioned earlier. For me as a president, it is very important, and we are open to any future cooperation. He goes on to say, uh, after after saying some other things not, not precisely related, I personally tell you one of my assistants spoke with Mr. Giuliani just recently. We're hoping very much that Mr. Giuliani will be able to come to Ukraine and we will meet once he comes to Ukraine. I just want to assure you once again that you have nobody but friends around us. Now, I've got to just say one more thing the president said because i got to comment on that. The president said, good, because I heard you had a prosecutor who was very good, and he was shut down, and that's really unfair. A lot of people are talking about that, the way they shut your very good prosecutor down. And you had some very bad people involved. Now, what that is about... That prosecutor was unanimously considered to be corrupt and a eye shutter towards corruption. 
and the virtually the entire European Union countries and our intelligent people wanted him gone because they did not think that he was adequately or even in any way going after corruption in the Ukraine. And that is the guy that the president said, I heard you had a prosecutor who was very good. And of course, why is that relevant? Because Biden was the point person to give the message from the United States that they agreed with all those European Union countries that that prosecutor had to go because he was not addressing corruption in the Ukraine. Go down a little bit later than that and start with the other thing. Uh, down, down in that same paragraph where he starts to talk about Hunter Biden, if you, if you can find the other thing. Sure. The other thing, there's a lot of talk about Biden's son, that Biden stopped the prosecution, and a lot of people want to find out about that. So whatever you can do with the attorney general would be great. Biden went around bragging that he stopped the prosecution. So if you could look into it, it sounds horrible to me. Skipping just a little bit. Uh, well, he said, I want to tell you about, skipping nothing, I want to tell you about the prosecutor. First of all, I understand, and I'm knowledgeable about the situation. Since we have won the absolute majority in our parliament, the next prosecutor general will be 100% my person, my candidate, who will be approved by the parliament, will start as a new prosecutor in September. You look into the situation specifically to the company that you mentioned in this issue. I'll pause there. The, uh, so there is an agreement by President Zelensky to follow up on the president's request of a favor. Much of what the uh, it, it has been unclear to me exactly what the uh, what the Republican uh, talking points would be. We know now some of what the talking the, what, what the Republican talking points would be because the Republicans released their talking points in an email to Republican members of yeah, Congress. They punched the wrong button. But then it turns out they also <laughs> shared it with Democratic members of Congress, and they tried to retract it back, but it stuck in some inboxes, and so we had a chance to see it. But let me go through some of the facts. The whistleblower complaint at the heart of the controversy over President Trump in Ukraine alleges that Trump is using the power of his office to solicit interference from a foreign country in the 2020 election. The response by Republicans is no quid pro quo. In reading, in reading that transcript, it is hard for me to, in a straight face, argue that there was not a quid pro quo. We say, hey, we're going to complete a sale of Javelin missiles. And, bef- and the immediate thing after that statement is, I want to ask a favor, though. And Especially it goes on to ask for two favors. Though. It, it, I want to ask a favor, no, though. No. And what does though mean? Well, there's something else that I like, want Hold to... on a sec. Right. And in uh, the context of the president withholding hundreds of millions of dollars in a, a already approved aid for Ukraine, $400 million in aid to Ukraine, the president put a hold on it until after having a chance to ask for this favor. And then in the context of asking for this favor, the and immediately after asking for this favor, the Ukrainian president says, yes. I ask him for this favor, though the Ukrainian president says, yes, we'll do it. I, I am reminded of we are going to make them an offer that they cannot refuse. The, uh, I'm also reminded of the uh, testimony of uh, Michael Cohen before Congress when he said that Donald Trump speaks in a code, like a mob boss where he doesn't say things directly, but you know. I'm also reminded of what we have talked, and there's a re- I, first of all, thank you very much for listening. We appreciate it very much. And one of the themes that I have mentioned multiple times is understanding the uh, tit-for-tat 
nature of the current president's strategy and interactions. His praise immediately following praise, his favors immediately following favors, and his attacks immediately following attacks. That it is a, it is a game theoretic strategy. It is as old as time, and Donald Trump is disciplined towards not many things, but he is disciplined towards that. And when you engage in and build a reputation for and are consistent with the tit-for-tat strategy, the reason is is you don't have to say what the tat is when you're first offering the tit, that you have a, uh, an expectation, you have built an expectation that people will know if they do the thing you ask, you will respond correspondingly. Uh, the Trump administration initially refused to turn over the complaint. Uh, led to It led to Speaker Nancy Pelosi's decision on Tuesday to finally support a formal impeachment inquiry. Uh, likely a re- result of pressure from that announcement, the administration did release both the complaint and yesterday that summary that we read just a little bit from before. The whistleblower breaks down alleged actions into four sections. First, the July 25th presidential phone call. Multiple White House officials told the whistleblower that they were deeply disturbed by what transpired in the phone call between Zelensky and Trump, in which Trump, quote, sought to pressure, the, I'm quoting the whistleblower complaint, sought to pressure the Ukrainian leader to take actions to help the president's 2020 re-election bid, end quote. Second, efforts to restrict access to records related to the call. The whistleblower said in the days after the call, White House officials intervened, and I'm quoting, to lock down all records of the call, especially the word-for-word transcript, end quote. White House lawyers directed officials to load the electronic transcript into a separate system that is generally used to handle classified information, despite there being no national security-sensitive material on the phone call. So the second was trying to hide the call by putting it in the wrong file, a classified file. Third, ongoing concern. A day after the call, the whistleblower said the U.S. envoy to Ukraine, Kurt Volker, and U.S. ambassador to the EU, Gordon Sondland. By the way, Gordon Sondland, Portlander, Gordon Sondland, a hotelier in our town uh, where we do the City Club on Fridays, and we're honored to do that. Uh, Used to be in the Sentinel Hotel, not the Sentinel Hotel anymore, Sentinel Hotel, a Gordon Sondland-owned property, and Donald Trump friend. Met with Sentinel Hotels, not Donald Trump friend, but Gordon Sondland is. Met with Ukrainian officials, provided with advice on how to navigate Trump's demands. Trump's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, also traveled to Madrid to meet with his Zelensky advisor and reached out to several other Ukrainian officials as a direct follow up to the call. That's number three. And number four, circumstances leading up to the presidential phone call on July 25th. In the most extensive section of the complaint, the whistleblower details how Ukraine's prosecutor general, Yuri. Lysenko made a series of corruption allegations in March 2019 against U.S. officials, including Joe Biden. The allegations were followed by news that Giuliani met on two occasions with Lysenko and planned to travel to Ukraine in May to pursue investigations related to Trump's 2020 re-election bid. Multiple U.S. officials told the whistleblower that they were, quote, deeply concerned what they viewed as Mr. Giuliani's circumvention of national security decision-making processes, end quote. Multiple U.S. officials also told the whistleblower the Ukrainian leadership was led to believe that a phone caller meeting between Z- Trump and Zelensky would depend on whether Zelensky showed a willingness to, quote, play ball on the issues aired by Lusenko and Giuliani. Mid-July, the whistleblower learned that Trump had directed the Office of Management and Budget to suspend all U.S. security assistance to Ukraine. 
Office of Management budget officials were unaware of any policy rationale. It's worth noting the whistleblower did not directly witness the events, but the witness accounts were accurate because in all cases, multiple officials recounted fact patterns that were consistent with one another. In the transcript of the phone call, as we said, also, President Trump urged President Zelensky to speak with Rudy Giuliani, who works for Trump, not the United States, and Attorney General Barr. All right, Dad. There is the there is the summary of what is going on, and in the and the director of national intelligence is uh, was taking heat from Adam Schiff this morning, and yeah, I was watching that uh, just before leaving for here, and uh, and his and the big question was why did he did you see any of that or did you had you already gotten on your horse? I I listened I listened to some of it on the radio. Okay, way to plug another station. So the uh, <laughs> we could we could play that, I guess. People would rather listen to you and me than listen to the news actually happening. Yeah, we what, can describe what, what, it. What what I'm afraid is that our listeners may be right now watching. This is a production meeting we don't have to have on air. Unfortunately, we have a majority of our production meetings on air. I hope you enjoy that part. It is not. It has become a feature. I view it as a glitch. The good the good thing about this is that folks can catch us later just by clicking on x-ray.fm and going to the archive the uh, my and I in a second I do want to play the Rush Limbaugh podcast which I listen to most days uh, when uh, in uh, the criticism and the opening line of questioning from Adam Schiff to the director of national intelligence the big question was why didn't you share this and there was a tangle of knots that Joe McGuire is getting into because following the statute, the statute says if there is uh, a, uh, if there is serious, there are serious alleg- credible allegations of serious misconduct in areas of urgent concern, the information shall be shared with Congress. And he went through and said, was this urgent? Was it, we first asked, was it, uh, did it seem serious? Uh, did it seem like it was a claim of mis- serious misconduct? Uh, was it a credible claim? And the answer was all yes, but gee, I think I need a second opinion. And he said, <laughs> well, the question was, are there matters of presidential privilege? And to be clear, the guy's at a tough spot. He was appointed by Trump, and he hasn't yet been confirmed by the Republican Senate. So, you know, this is a, this is a career intelligence official, and he'd probably rather his career not end right now. So he's trying to, and he, and he went on to say, this is unprecedented. We don't do it. There was no playbook to follow. This was unprecedented. But then my favorite exchange with Schiff and McGuire was he was saying, so first you went to the White House for advice. He says, no, I went to the Office of Legal Counsel. Well, first, no, no, first you went to the White House, then you went to the Office of Legal Counsel to get an opinion. He says, no, I just wanted to get the issues of privilege resolved, so I went to the Office of Legal Counsel. And they went back and forth a little bit. So finally said, so Schiff said, okay, so first you, I'm just trying to get the timeline correct. So first you went to the Office of Legal Counsel, and then you went to White House Counsel. And then McGuire said, oh, no, no, no. First, I went to White House counsel. And he said, so you went to the subject of the complaint to determine whether or not releasing the complaint was something you were supposed to do. And this was because he did not follow the seven-day timeline. And he was saying, well, there are issues of privilege that had to be resolved. Well, we've now got the information. Uh, Dad, let's talk about impeachment. Anything else you want to say about that? To me, this is relatively cut and dried, right? Like anybody who says we want to get to the facts, we've got the facts. The president asked for a favor 
whether or not whether or not you think that it was somehow unrelated to let me ask you a favor though whether or not you think it was unrelated to the 400 million dollars that he had put a hold on we think it's unrelated to any other leverage that a president can apply to another president or the fact that the president of ukraine had just said and we're looking at buying some more that in just that moment is that what he'd said it, it, it was his response to that very comment indeed even if you don't think there's any quid pro quo there is no question at all that the president was asking for an investigation into a political opponent and asking a foreign leader to do that i don't know what additional fact finding needs to be done unless there's somebody who is saying that, that transcript is inaccurate but nope, it's not to be clear what was released is not a transcript it is the uh, it is the representation of notes released by the white house but anybody who thinks that the white house would end up releasing something that was less incriminating or should be more incriminating than what actually happened I think you have a misunderstanding. What we have is a pretty clear set of admissions. And you wonder what the three dots that appear several times in the, quote, transcript, which is not a transcript. It, it is just a, a... It's a representation. A representation. But the reason the crowd strike thing is so significant is that the, the explanation, the excuse that they are offering for the Biden thing is it is legitimate for the president to ask the Ukraine to look at corruption, which might somehow influence what the government of Ukraine is doing with the aid we give. But the crowd strike thing had nothing to do with that. It had only trying to put put a hole in to try to to undermine the conclusion of all of the intelligence agencies of the United States government that Russia had interfered in our election. That's what it was all about, to try to bolster his claim that that didn't happen orally, that it didn't matter. has nothing to do with the benefit of the United States government. A couple little facts. The... uh and Dad, glad that you highlighted that point. Uh, this is Donald Trump going back in time and trying to create a new narrative about the origin of the complaints against him and the origin of the Mueller investigation. But the other big news, another piece of big news, historic news, folks. And anybody, by the way, who feels glee about this stuff, check your glee. This is this is what could shape up to be a constitutional crisis. This is not a moment of pride for the country. There's a moment of shame. Uh, 218 lawmakers have indicated support for impeachment proceedings. That's 217 Democrats plus independent representative, former Republican Justin Amash. Uh, That is uh, a majority of the House supporting the impeachment inquiry. That doesn't mean that's 218 people who are voting yes on impeachment, but it means there are 218. There's a majority of the House that will vote and are in favor of the impeachment inquiry and suggest their minds are are wide open to voting for impeachment. And then it will go on to the Senate. And and I will say, how are you viewing? Because we talked about it on Monday and you said, no, it has the impeachment has no greater chance. And I know you met in the Senate, uh, no greater chance than a snowball's chance in a hot place. How are you feeling this morning? Same way? I'm feeling a little different. A little different. I have to agree a little different because 
Well, uh, the last thing I heard as I was getting out of my car to come in this morning, come in here this morning, was a questioning by a Republican congressman who did say that what the president had said was bad. He acknowledged that that was not acceptable behavior. So that he then went on to, to mealy mouth, but nonetheless, there are go those who are going to recognize. And it's talked about more and more and more. And this, of course, is not going to penetrate the shell that the rock rib DDT supporters, the Trumpers ever, who really would not care if the president shot somebody on Fifth Avenue. But there are a lot of folks out there who are, who are wondering, well, who, as they talk about this and listen to this and think, hey, here, here is somebody who says, we got $400 million which are supposed to come, but, but I've put that on hold. And while that's on hold, there are a couple of things that I want you to do. And one of the things I want you to do is to reinstate some, something to try to find dirt on my most likely opponent next year. And the other thing I want you to do is to do something to undermine the conclusion of everybody who looked at it that the Russians interfered in the 2016 election. That's a favor that I'm asking you to do. Though, in response to, we are looking at buying some more stuff. And they're going to say, this really does sound like Marlon Brando in The Godfather. A few questions that I want to address. One is, um, up to now, I have said multiple times, largely in response to mainstream large news organizations doing stories and comparisons with the Richard Nixon presidency and the fall of the Richard Nixon presidency. I have said that this is a very different context. I have pointed out several reasons why I think it's a really different context. One is because the media landscape is so different. There is Fox News now. There didn't used to be a Fox News. There is the legion of right-wing radio, including Rush Limbaugh, uh, etc. There didn't used to be that during Nixon. There are folks who will back it. There is a propaganda engine that will prop up the president in a way that the there was not such a thing to prop up Nixon. In fact, much of the development of what we see now is, uh, I think, best seen as a reaction to the toppling of and the re resignation of Richard Nixon. And it is so wonderful for the far right because if you, you, you compare it to the propaganda machine that existed in the Soviet Union or the propaganda machine that existed in the Hitler regime, they had to be paid for by the government. Hey, the Republicans get this for nothing. The uh, difference, <laughs> the other big difference is that with Nixon there were tapes and we were dealing with the Mueller investigation, there wasn't even testimony from President Trump. I think maybe forgotten is the fact that the, guy, the, the president said, yeah, I'll testify, and then never did. And so there was not, direct, there, everything was secondhand, and the president would deny everything, and, and all, all we had was what looked like obstruction of justice, but not clear statements on the record from the president. And they were, one could argue that point. He did go in front of Lester Holt and said, oh, I fired him because of Russia. Uh, but the... But there were no tapes. There's now something pretty close to a tape. They're at least now the president's own words. And the president is not contesting that those are his words. There is now uh, direct evidence of what the president says. And that gets this other question of what has changed. Why now do you see so many 
uh, folks who had been fence sitters or opposed to an impeachment inquiry now saying they're in favor of an impeachment inquiry. Dad, do you think anything else changed other than just now we have the president's words and now it just seems so much more cut and dry, at least in what the conduct is, so that there can be a discussion of what what, what amounts to an impeachable offense? There, with the Mueller investigation, so many questions of fact that were being argued. But w- anything well, else the, do you the, think the, that changed? The, the significant thing that I see that has changed is that two senators have expressed concern. Senator Sass and Senator Romney have both said that this is a real concern to them. And if you got to a point where there are two Republican senators who are willing to go south on the on the president, that gives some cover for others who might have the courage to do this. So we'll see. Uh, another thing that has changed is the timing. There was a lot, so much of this has been a political analysis and why, and I'll just copy Elizabeth Warren's statement that she said there should not be, and Sarah Kenzier's, there should not be a political statement uh, this should be a statement of values and of what impeachment means and what is the appropriate conduct for a president. And and to me, we are playing to history. I don't think the resignation of Donald Trump, uh, I don't think the impeachment of Donald Trump does very much, this may sound odd, I don't think it does very much to help the development of presidential power anytime in the, uh, among Democrats. Doesn't doesn't help uh, big D Democratic Party power in the near term, uh, particularly because the his successor will come with very much less baggage. Yeah, but all the same policies. And and if it and if Mike Pence wasn't the Republican nominee, they'd have somebody else be the Republican nominee that would have at least the same polling numbers as Donald Trump and presumably better. Uh, doesn't mean they'd be more likely or less likely to win, but. I think at least is likely to win and maybe more likely to win. So I don't think this is a should be seen through a lens of power. It should be seen through a lens, as we said from the very I try to be consistent about to set aside our jaundiced partisan eyes and say, what is the kind of conduct that a president should and shouldn't um, engage in? There is another way to understand history, though. And this is one of the reasons why I think that the impeachment inquiry is justified and really important is when you look through history, who are the presidents that got impeached? And how does that start building a precedent for what presidents aren't allowed to do? And it seems that this kind of conduct, the decision about whether trying to get a foreign power to investigate and dig dirt and destroy or help destroy a political opponent, we have to define whether or not that's impeachable conduct. And I guess I am interested in the view or interested in people who have the audacity to view that that is not impeachable conduct. Because I don't think there's a serious view that that's not what happened. It seems to me the only real question, you can say a bunch of stuff, like, oh, well, no, there wasn't really a violation of the statute. There wasn't really a change. There, there really wasn't much of a cover-up. They put it in the wrong file just because they put it in the wrong file. There are real questions of executive privilege. Uh, they can say, oh, there was no quid pro quo. But there is no, I can see no serious debate about whether or not the president of the United States asked the president of Ukraine to investigate a political opponent. And the question therefore and, and to debunk and to debunk something that happened in his election. And the question about whether that's impeachable conduct 
seems a critical question. By the way, the text line, if you have insights or questions, 971-220-5979. And, and that he did that in the context of withholding nearly $400 million of aid to that country. Here's a counter to what I was saying. The counter was, Jeff, you're naive if you don't think politics is a big part of this. And obviously I know that it is. There was a view that impeachment articles that were crafted, and if the, and if the Republican Senate was then given the opportunity to vote them down, uh, it, you know, months ago, that if you were leading into the election year with a not guilty verdict by the U.S. Senate, yeah, a Republican U.S. Senate, but a not guilty verdict nonetheless, that it might it might add to a Teflon coating on Donald Trump, that delaying it, that pushing it into the election year would mean that the president is running under a cloud rather than under the uh, r- rather than having that behind him. That the old line of hit low and hit late as so often happens in elections, you want to push this as close to voting day as possible. I recognize that dynamic. There's another dynamic. And for so long, so many of the folks who are concerned about losing seats in House swing districts making the case, oh, this is bad. You don't have a majority of people who are in favor of impeachment. By the way, was a poll, 55% of the American people in favor of an impeachment inquiry, I think because the facts on this are clear uh, and because they have the, the Fox News apparatus hadn't quite gotten its hooks into all its people. The, that what we, uh, the, the power analysis suggested that impeachment seemed like a, bad, a really bad power move for Democrats. I, again, I still think that that can't be and should not be the first or end of the analysis. But another argument emerged among uh, Democratic strategists, which was that now this will require Republican senators, including Republican senators who are up for re-election, including recognizing the future of the court depends on the U.S. Senate, including recognizing that health care and you know, anything that a President Elizabeth Warren, a President Joe Biden, a President Buttigieg would need to pass, would have to go through the Senate, that all of those senators will be forced to vote. And if there are such clear facts about the conduct, and then there's a clearly stated question about whether that rises to the level of impeachable conduct, that is the kind of thing that will put those senators in a difficult position. And that could be a political victory for trying to win Democratic Senate seats. We'll see. Dad, you got anything else on this? Otherwise, let's take a break. Okay, let's take a break, and then I've got some international stuff and then national stuff, and I've got a lot of state and local stuff, and we only have 35 more minutes. We better get at it. Netanyahu, by the way, we'll be talking about him and what's happening with him and Benny Gantz in Israel in just a moment. You're listening to X-Ray, and radio is yours. Well, Dad, you want to start with the United Kingdom Supreme Court ruling, or do you want to start with Israel? Well, why don't we do the Brexit thing first? The Supreme Court of the United Kingdom agreed with the Supreme Court of Scotland that the prorogation of Parliament was contrary to law. It has not dented the defiance of Boris Johnson. He is absolutely unrepentant. He is saying it's wrong. He is criticizing. He's, But an interesting thing that hasn't been mentioned, but what could be a bigger problem for him, there's a serious charge that when he was mayor, he used public money 
to go to the company of one of his paramours who happened to be an American citizen. And that, that might uh, be the thing that uh, even his supporters won't put up with, although we could be wrong. But one of the things that I see, the parallel between Johnson and DDT, is that folks who are angry, folks who have a lot of hate, and especially who hate government, just really, really love somebody who blyavates and, and so, so we'll see what happens there. Prorogation, by the way, is the uh, action of discontinuing a session of parliament or other legislative assembly without dissolving it. You learn stuff on news with my dad. X-ray. Indeed, United Kingdom Supreme Court ruled that Boris Johnson's decision to shut down the parliament leading up to Brexit was unlawful. Despite the ruling being unanimous, the prime minister insisted Britain will leave the European Union by October 31st. The ruling gives legislators more fodder to try to stop him from taking Britain out of the bloc next month. Opposition leaders called for Johnson's resignation for misleading the Queen, who had formally suspended Parliament on his request. Uh, Dad and Benny Gantz might not be the Prime Minister. Well, Benjamin Pre Netanyahu has been given the chance. Pre President Rivlin is giving Bibi the first chance. He has four weeks to form a government. Of course, the interesting thing is that the reason they just had an election was that he was unable to form a government last time, and this election gave him one less vote than he had last time. So I suspect that the most likely outcome of this is there's going to be another election, but there is another interesting possibility. The last time they had this kind of, of what, what do you call it, stalemate in the Knesset, the two leading parties decided we will take turns, and their leaders took turns being the prime minister. And I can see that might happen if Gantz were allowed to go first. I have grave doubts that Gantz would agree to anything other than his going first, but that might be a possibility. But if, if the two parties can't get together, I think the most likely thing is another election. This reminds me of how Abraham Lincoln became the Republican nominee and became president. The uh, my, I could imagine uh, there being a deal between the two biggest parties if it's somebody other than Netanyahu to be the prime minister, either Benny Gantz or even someone else, even someone that we've never heard of before, right. like that, Abraham that's Lincoln. That's the other possibilities. Some charismatic, sensible, hopefully. Even dull. Just, even even just somebody says, okay, there's our compromise candidate. They're not a threat to anybody. You know that 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 six foot five hick from Illinois. You know that's not somebody that has ever ever offended any of us. Well, let's pick that guy uh, or that woman. I could imagine that happening. I actually would think that's their best. I don't know that's going to happen, but I think that's their best chance of forming a government at this point uh, because after two elections, it feels like the battle lines have got to be pretty well drawn and that, yeah, but you know, the guy has pulled rabbits out of the hat before. Uh, a few national headlines, Juul has accepted a proposed ban on flavored vaping products. Their CEO stepped down. The CDC reported 530 possible cases of severe respiratory illnesses among people who vape nicotine or cannabis products in 38 states. 
Total number of fatalities from vaping-related lung illness has risen to 10. According to the CDC, hundreds of new cases have been reported over just the past week. Reporting is increasing. The CDC maintains no single e-cigarette product or compound has been linked to pulmonary illnesses. Also says there's no evidence that infectious disease is the culprit. So that's them saying, well, there's not a single, we're not saying it's the jewel, but it's pretty clear it's not just an infection. Jewel Labs agreed to stop advertising its popular e-cigarettes in the United States. The company also said they will not push back on an administration plan to pull flavored e-cigarettes from the market. No word on whether flavored AR-15s will be dealt with. (laughs) And Jewel is talking about perhaps downsizing, letting some of its employees go because it might have some effect on its revenue. Trump administration is going to end the catch-and-release immigration policy, NPR and others reporting. The EPA is threatening to withdraw highway funds from California. The Environmental Protection Agency is threatening to cut billions in highway funding because of poor air quality in the state. In a letter to the California Air Resource Board, they said that the state has, quote, failed to carry out its most basic tasks under the Clean Air Act. Governor Gavin Newsom calls the position as a threat of pure retaliation. He said the White House tries to bully us and concoct new ways to make our air dirtier. Yeah, because didn't they just overturn California's emission standards? So on one hand, they say you, you, you have to make your emission standards. We don't accept your emission standards. And oh, by the way, your air is also too dirty. So it's... Uh, yeah. uh, I don't know quite how we got away from international so quickly, but there are some international things that I want to just mention before we don't have any. Because there are only two, there are only two in the show outline. That's why. <laughs> First, I think we have to acknowledge once again the leadership of Greta Thunberg. Just an amazing Thunberg, just amazing young woman. Twenty-four nations have joined in a in a resolution censuring Saudi Arabia for torture and rights abuse. Guess which nation was not one of those 24? China. The United (laughs) States. (laughs) The Global Preparedness Monitoring Group, in its first report, tells us that we are not ready for the next pandemic, whether that could be Ebola or cholera or measles or flu, but that we are not ready for that. But there's some good news in the health front internationally. They may, we may be getting close to having a, f- a universal flu vaccine, and that could be extremely significant because the last worst pandemic our country faced was flu about 100 years ago. And there is a possibility, but I want to talk about this just a little, a possibility that they're going to have, that a blood test is going to be possible to predict accurately whether or not you're going to suffer from Alzheimer's. But that's kind of scary because if that exists, do employers start insisting on you taking it to see if they're going to hire you when they want you to work for them for 30 years? Are insurance companies more significantly going to want that test to see if you are at risk? That, uh, that, 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 that makes me a little nervous, but we'll see. But then uh, at, at the UN, by the way, Pompeo, our Secretary of State, and Mr. Azur, his counterpart from Brazil, are pushing the UN to eliminate all language implying any support for abortion, any suggestion that abortion is okay. They don't want anything talking about women's reproductive rights. And then the last thing, do you remember the the stories which uh, about the folks in Cuba, our, 
our employees in Cuba who had really weird things happening in their brain. I do remember that. Well, there is there's a report. We reported on that. Yes, we did. We talked about it some length. There is a report that that may have been caused by a spray against the Zika mosquito that is that is to inhibit the cholinesterase function. And that, that, that could be the cause of it. And that, that would be a very interesting thing. Yeah, let's get to some election news. Elizabeth Warren holds a nine-point lead over Joe Biden in the California poll. California has the biggest number of delegates. Uh, the survey from Berkeley's Institute of Government Studies found the progressive senator as the top choice with 29% of likely Democratic primary voters polled in the Golden State, uh, up from 11 points in the same survey taken in June. Second and third place, Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. Uh, Biden was the top choice of the 20% of the respondents in Wednesday's poll, down two points from June. Sanders pulled at 19%, up two points. Kamala Harris slipped five points since June, ending up with 8% support. Kamala Harris, of course, senator from California. Uh, This demonstrates uh, further momentum from Elizabeth Warren. Not sure if any of it has anything to do with Trump going after Biden. I will acknowledge that possibility gives me some discomfort. But But if we're doing horse race analysis, if Elizabeth Warren gets a nose ahead of Joe Biden, Joe Biden will have a very, very hard time winning. This is my analysis. And that's because it's hard, other than finding other attacks and calling her Pocahontas, uh, the uh, attacking, other than really attacking Elizabeth Warren and some stuff we're not aware of now, it's not clear to me how Biden builds his uh, base of support. He is such a known quantity. The challenge of the really known quantity is you know, there's almost no place to go but down. Mild exaggeration. And relevant to this, uh, watching Fox News last night, they were talking about a big expose today of a tape of a Biden phone call that they're going to make a big thing about that could could be a tempest in a teapot, but they will make sure that the teapot boils. They're really going after him. The other reason I say that if she is a nose ahead, that it will be very hard for Biden to retake her or get to win is the ranked choice voting uh, survey results. Is demonstrated when people have a chance to vote not just their first choice, but also their second choice, Elizabeth Warren becomes the clear winner, even while she is not, she doesn't have the most first choice votes because she has the most second and third choice right. votes. She, so as she, other she, candidates she, drop she, out... She is the most least unliked. As other candidates drop out, she is the uh, she gets more votes than any other candidate gets as those, uh, as those other folks, uh, folks drop out. One could imagine something changing, but I will say, I mean, I, I thought that uh, Elizabeth Warren would have been president had she run uh, four years ago, run five years ago. Uh, you know, four and a half years ago. The, uh, and, and I believe right now that Elizabeth Warren will be president. Uh, the, it's a dumb thing to make a prediction this early, but I, anybody who doesn't think she's electable, eh, maybe you're right. But I think she's electable. In fact, I think at this point she's going to be the Democratic, Democratic nominee. I, I, and I, I think ag- she's going to be. I agree that I think presidency. she's going to be the nominee. And one of the things that she will do is will have an extremely energized base. 
just an extremely energized base. And she and here's the by, other. By, by the Go way, ahead. by the way, she has endorsed Jessica Cisneros. Do you understand why that is significant? I, I don't remember Jessica Cisneros is running in the primary against Henry Quellar, who is the Texas representative that is really a dino. That's a Democrat in name only. And that she's come out and made that endorsement strikes me as being fairly significant. And while we're talking about the presidential campaign, we, we were guessing, we've been guessing about who the next dropout was going to be. Well, the next dropout turns out to be de Blasio. And I predict that the one after that is going to be Cory Booker because Cory Booker has said he is going to drop out if he doesn't get a whole bunch of money. And I just kind of think that uh, he's not going to get the whole bunch of money, but we'll see. The, uh, I, I, think, I think he will get the bunch of money. Uh, he might. So has Michael Bennett dropped out? Not yet. Okay, I think... The, by the way, in, to, to make it in the November debate, you've got to have at least 165,000 givers, and you've got to have national polls putting you at least above 3%, or you've got to have polls in Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina of better than 5%, or you won't make the cut in November. I'm going to say that I think the next most likely to drop out is Tim Ryan. Uh, that, that's going to be my pick. You go Booker, I go Tim Ryan. Holy smoke, I forgot that Tim Ryan had bucked out. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Tim, Tim Ryan is pretty likely. And before Booker, I would think, I would think Bennett might drop out before, Bennett, uh, before Booker, but Bennett does have a sense of righteous purpose, uh, and so I could imagine him sticking in. Delaney, I would say, probably ought to drop out. But that guy's ticked off, got a lot of money, and got nothing better to do. Uh, all right, Dad. Any yeah, other couple, any other big couple, election couple news? A couple of national stuff that I want to talk oh, about. Oh wait, I got another piece of national news, and that is that okay. Elizabeth Warren uh, has uh, pledged campaign funds to help unseat uh, help unseat the senator from Maine, Susan Collins, a critical seat for Democrats, Democrats to win. So is Ron Wyden. And I, the, I got an email from Ron Wyden asking me to give money to yeah. To and Sarah Gideon, who's running against Susan Collins, and, and I'm probably going to do that. So what Elizabeth Warren is demonstrating is that she is prepared to lead not only her own campaign, but attempt to lead the uh, Democratic Party and lead it in a way that will win swing seats. And as you pointed out, the Cisneros race also try to get the Democratic Party to move in a progressive direction. So that's interesting. All right, a couple of national stories, and then, Dad, we got to get to local news. Okay, the No Ban Act, which was introduced in April, which is to overturn the Muslim bans that DDT has initiated has reached the point where they have 170 House members co-sponsoring, 34 senators co-sponsoring, and at least 13 big companies, including Twitter, Uber, Airbnb, Lyft, Spotify, a lot of tech companies supporting. So that might actually get to be a vote at least. In New York, the Child Victims Act has just come into effect, which extends the statute of limitations virtually indefinitely as long as you get your lawsuit filed before August of next year. A result already has been a filing for bankruptcy by one of the Catholic dioceses, one of the eight Catholic dioceses in New York, and there may be more following. In New Jersey, one of the th bad things about tax credits New Jersey 
had some tax credits available, and there were at least 12 companies that threatened to move to New York, all of whom almost certainly would not move to New York, but they, because of their threats, got these tax credits. It's cost the state of New Jersey 100 million bucks in tax money. Don't do that, Oregon. And finally, a national news segueing to here, Jeff Merkley got 23 senators to join him in sending a letter to the FDA about its failure to do anything about e-cigarettes, saying, shame on you. Oh, and then and before we go to state and local, I have a factoid. It's a factoid I get from Bernie Sanders, but listen to this factoid. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. In the time I counted that, Jeff Bezos made more money than the median employees at his company make in one year. And the three richest families in America have a net worth higher than the bottom one half, 50%. That's a pretty scary. 10 seconds to one year and three families to 150 million people. Yep. 165 million people. Well, Dad, the SAFE Act, a cannabis banking bill, and here's a good segue into local news, and we'll do the quick six in just a second, uh, is losing support from progressives. Uh, there is an issue if you run a cannabis outfit, where are you going to bank? Because it's growing and selling cannabis, marijuana, is uh, still uh, against federal law, and banks are subject to significant federal banking legislation. A bipartisan coalition of 206 House members who are co-sponsors have been pushing the Secure and Fair Enforcement Banking Act, a.k.a. the SAFE Act. But now there have been a bunch of progressive organizations, including the ACLU, Human Rights Watch, and the Drug Policy Alliance, who are opposing the bill, saying that they're concerned if there's approval of this bill, it'll undermine broader and more inclusive efforts to reform marijuana laws. They don't want to just reform banking. They want to also aim at repairing the harms of the war on drugs, which has been waged, and I'm quoting, in a racially disproportionate manner. Why don't we take a very quick break, and we'll come back with local news. Well, Dad, what local stories do you want to focus on? Well, I'm wondering if the Secretary of State is really going to decide that campaign violation charges or claims ought to be really examined. The poster child for it, of course, is the Debbie Boone story. That Debbie Boone, when she was interviewed by the Oregonian about contributions that she received to her campaign that she turned around and passed along to somebody else's campaign had been with her knowledge that had come from the Betsy Johnson uh, I guess Betsy Johnson's husband that she knew that Betsy Johnson wanted that money to go to the ultimate repository and that's what she told the paper but when she was asked about that 
by the Secretary of State, she said, well, I didn't know what was going to, what the money was for, which is a clear conflict as to what she was telling one person, another person, and they didn't do anything about it. But it also turns out that there have been several, several campaign violation complaints in which they have written the alleged perpetrator and never received any response at all and because there's no response they just close the file <laughs> how is that don't say anything to close the file nearly one in three eligible teens voted in oregon's 2018 midterm elections nearly one in three in oregon voted in 2018 that's among the highest turnouts in the country for that age group nationally about a little less than a quarter of 18 and 19 year olds cast a ballot according to the study the nationwide youth vote uh, more than doubled since the 2014 midterms. Back then, only 13% of 18- and 19-year-olds cast a ballot. In 2018, the presidential year, that got up 28%. Here in Oregon, shout-out to the bus project, now called Next Up, and shout-out to, uh, to Kate Brown at Automatic Voter Registration. Oregon did, in the midterm election, even better than in the presidential election. In Oregon, youth turnout went from 27% to just over 39% in that same period. And I predict that there is a potential for a huge increase in the youth vote if Elizabeth Warren is nominated or if Pete Buttigieg is, is nominated. Who else do you think would... I, I think Joe Biden would not produce a big jump in the youth I, vote. I think, I think any... Uh, did you say Bernie Sanders? I think... I think uh, Bernie Sanders, yes, Bernie Sanders. I think Bernie would, Sanders yeah, would trigger... But I think that if Donald Trump is the Republican nominee, there is going to be enormous voter turnout that's, among that's, all demographics. That's, among all that, demographics. that will be true. And let's say something else. Colorado, Montana, and Minnesota uh, came in the other, uh, as the three states that topped Oregon. What I find interesting about that, Colorado, Montana, two other bus project affiliates. <laughs> Just saying. Work on organizing young people for a decade plus might have an impact. The Forestry <laughs> Department's slow debt collection is causing a financial crisis. The Oregon Department of Forestry has failed to collect nearly $100 million that it's owed for wildfire costs dating back as far as 2015. Agency restructured The agency leaders restructured a $50 million line of credit with the Oregon Treasury to avoid default. Then they borrowed $18 million of the Department of Administrative Services to cover two months of payroll costs. Meanwhile, the agency has been forced to drain internal cash reserves that support other departments. Uh, those funds need to be repaid also. Cash flow problem became aware, became, came to light this summer. The fire division is responsible for fighting fires on private and state lands. Most of those costs are reimbursable by the state and federal government. But the agency says it simply doesn't have the financial capacity to float these escalating costs until the bills get paid. The union that represents the workers at Fred Myers is urging people to boycott certain departments in Fred Myers, saying that Fred, Freddy's is guilty of unfair treatment. One of the issues is gender discrimination. And Dennis Gibson, the CEO of Fred Myers, put a full-page ad in the Oregonian saying that we absolutely do not discriminate based on gender. That's interesting. Cider Riot. Cider Riot. I don't know. Is Cider Riot a restaurant? Is it an inn? Is it, I mean, is it a tavern? Is it a bar? Whatever the Cider Riot is, which has got a lot of publicity lately because they're 
was kind of a riot that happened there with far-right folks. And they're for sale. Satirizers for sale. And they also appear to be in the crosshairs of the Liquor Control Commission for not adequately uh, enforcing good conduct in their facility. Nike. Nike, it turns out, has been helping the feds in investigating athletes' pay, especially in the basketball arena, for a couple of years. So that, that probably will not help Mr. Avenatti in his jesting against Nike. The well, Dad, I've got, I, I'm going to break some news. I'm going to break, break some, some news. news and then I've got some more. Jennifer Williamson is going to run for Secretary of State. And how did you happen to know that? Well, I'm, I'm you, I actually, you've how. known that for several days. I've known that for a few days. Uh, the uh, uh, Jennifer Williams is going to run for Secretary of State. Going to join Mark Hass in the race. Uh, going to join. Um, uh, going to join uh, uh, Skinner McLeod uh, in the race. Uh, the question is whether Dan Rayfield or anybody else is going to is going to get in. I think we're going to uh, co-host a. Uh, a Secretary of State debate. If anybody else, by the way, if any, anybody wants to help out with X-ray stuff, to help us put on debates, help us do the show, help us gather news, uh, feel free to reach out to us. We'd love your help. 971-220-5979. Uh, and Dad, I did want to dwell on the bridge a moment because you and I have talked about that for 10 years, nine years, uh, the Columbia River crossing. Uh, and it is haunting to me that this announcement comes almost precisely simultaneous to Greta Thunberg's tour of the United States. At the same time that you have so many uh, big D Democratic officials praising Greta Thunberg, talking about the dire need for the United States to lead the world and certainly not fall away, stay way behind the rest of the world and in addressing the, emissions. And at, and at the same time saying, let's encourage more automobile travel. And let's talk some truth. And I know we got friends in Vancouver. And I know we got friends who are listening on AM 1360. And I know that we've got friends at our friendly station at KXRW who hate the traffic over the Vancouver Bridge. And I get it. But let's talk some truth. There is no, right now, we are not hitting climate targets based on this region's climate goals. And the reason we aren't, the area that we are falling behind, is in transportation emissions. There is no way for us to reverse the curve, to slow the curve, to bend the curve on climate emissions if we don't change our transportation practices. And there is no way that we will change our transportation practices unless we change our transportation investments. This is a historically important decision. It is one that doesn't get nearly enough coverage, and that's one of the and one, one of the primary reasons for that is because power begets coverage more than coverage begets power. And right now, the Columbia River Crossing Project is going to be the most expensive project in the history of the region. And what it's going to do is induce greater traffic. What it's going to do is induce greater use of automobiles. What it's going to do is, is produce and induce greater emissions, just like every highway mega project has ever done. And that is being done while you have League of Conservation Voters endorsed candidates on both sides of the river who are helping getting it done and or turning a blind eye. But a lot of them helping actively get it done. And that absolutely includes this governor. That absolutely includes the Washington state governor who ran on a on a platform of climate change that absolutely includes the Secretary of State, excuse me, the uh, the Speaker of the House in the state of Oregon, Tina Kotek, 
each of them ha- is absolutely necessary for, for this kind of fast-tracking to happen, for this kind of project to happen, and it's, it's an enormous story. And I continue to point out that you could reduce the traffic hugely, hugely, six months from now if you simply imposed effective six months from now a series of tolls that were based not just on the time of day but the occupancy of the vehicles so that the toll for a single driver was relatively high two people less three people maybe nothing four people maybe even will pay you and at the same time creating a website that made it easy for people to find others with whom they could carpool because they worked actually in the same place or at least in the same town and had to be at work at the same time. Those people would get really busy finding folks who they could carpool with. And six months from now, I'll bet you you could cut the occupants, cut the traffic by 30% and maybe more. It would be so simple to do. And if you want to Google something, you can Google Common Sense Alternative, which was the, uh, which was sort of more modern uh, transportation planners offering a an alternative to this to ease the traffic uh, without as much climate impact, without as much inducement uh, to uh, increasing uh, automobile use, and without costing as much money. Essentially, it's fixing the uh, it's fixing the railroad bridge it's doing seismic upgrades on the existing bridge it's creating a transit dedicated bridge over uh, over Hayden Island uh, and a couple other steps all right dad let's go to our straw in the wind can I just kick in one thing quick before I do my straw in the wind I've got to talk to report this the Grant and Morrow County sheriffs have both been given free trips by the Federation for American Immigration Reform to a conference that FAIR is having in D.C. and FAIR has been designated a hate group by the the Southern Poverty Law Center because they sheriffs are folks who really are anti-immigrant. Guess how many non-citizens have been in the Grant County Jail in the time that Glenn Palmer has been the Glenn County Sheriff, which is 20 years. I don't know. Let's just take a wild guess. Because this is a guy who's identified as a huge anti-immigrant, so how many people has he had to have in his jail in 20 years? Zero. That's not very many. Zero. Graham Trainer has been named the new uh, head of the FLCIO, and and let's connect these dots of that last story, right? Graham Trainer, one of the people who came after me, and the uh, and was a friend, but the uh, but you know, I, I, and, and uh, the funny thing is, nearly everybody who has been pushing for this bridge on the Democratic side has been a friend of mine, and and I have lost friends over the uh, over the issue, and it's sort of a dumb thing that I focus on. It. I got a text that said, "Preach, Jeff." N- Thank you for that. I guess I'm preaching a little bit. Not really trying to preach, but 
just trying to be factually oriented because you have all these folks, you have all these folks who are decrying climate change and they have a chance to do something big or not do something big or do something big to the bad. They got real choices. And, and so rather than just in preaching, let me implore, let me implore that now, now that it's been fast-tracked in the same way that there has been pushing on the I-5 corridor and recognize that these projects are linked. Because if what you do is expand one big piece of the highway and don't expand another big piece of the highway, that you'll end up with a bottleneck in the piece you didn't expand. So these things are connected. And what they're connected as is huge highway development projects. And we're deciding that the same town that tore down the uh, the West Side Highway, that decided not to build a big highway on a water, waterfront so we could build Waterfront Park, that made Portland famous, that built the transit-oriented development plan that Got, made us a TV show and made the New York Times care at all. That same habit uh, that we are developing of planning our city differently in that same town, we are dedicating nearly all of our uh, ability to lobby for federal funds, almost all of our federal funds, to major highway developments. Ain't no way you can square that with then going out and campaigning on climate change. Ain't no way you can square that. And we've got to try to persuade the AFL-CIO, including Graham Trainer, and we've got to try to implore the governor, Kate Brown, who we praised on voter access a moment ago. We're, we're not mad at folks because we're mad at folks. We're just wanting to be clear to the facts that we implore Tina Kotek, we implore folks, okay, you want something, let's push for something, let's try to make something that's truly climate friendly and not just pretend climate friendly. Let's and do something that's worthy of this century, not just barely worthy of the last century. And if you have any doubt about the real effect of building a new highway, please just go look at what the traffic is on the 205 crossing at at uh, he heavy traffic times. Just look at how it's stop and go getting across that bridge. When that bridge was first built, it had virtually no traffic. What did it do? It encouraged traffic. I'm ready for my straw in the wind. Let's do it. Straw in the wind. A straw in the, the MLS, this national soccer, has decided for at least the rest of this year that it's okay to display the iron front symbol. That encouraged me. I think that's a straw in the wind. Well, Dad, we did it again. We did indeed, and we'll be back on Monday. Love you, Pop.